Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, where we talk about advertising, media and marketing. I'm your host for this week, Experiences Editor, Fayola Douglas, and on this episode we're focusing on the events industry and what needs to be done to save it. Soon I'll be talking to Peter Heath, Managing Director of Plaza, as well as Helen Hansen, Founder of Hells, about the Light in the Red campaign that we've seen across the country. But first, I'm here with Simon Gwynn to quickly chat about a couple of news stories, as well as his own experience of a socially distanced gig. Hi, Simon. How are you? Hi, Fayola. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So I think the first thing we're going to talk about is one of the big news stories this week, and it's John Lewis dropping its never-knowingly undersold line. So what do you think about them getting rid of this slogan? Yeah, well, um, this has come out um, in an interview that uh, Sharon White, the uh, the new chairman uh, who started this year, has done with the Sunday Times. And it's part of a whole uh, stream of uh, changes and, and um, developments that she's planning. There's some, some quite drastic um, uh, things that she's she's trying to do with the business to help it navigate, you know, what's a really difficult time for basically all retailers. Um in terms of this slogan, this has been quite fundamental to John Lewis for most, I think, all of its history, um, going on 100 years. I think for, for a lot of people of, uh, of uh, an older generation, just think about my dad, for example, I think he'd probably be uh, appalled by the, the thought that this was, was being dropped because um, it's, it's seen as, um, uh, you know, kind of really fundamental uh, promise of, uh, of, of value and kind of transparency. But uh, the reality is that for for Quite a few years. It's not been quite what it said on the tin because um, the it doesn't apply to online competitors. So there are products which uh, John Lewis sells which are available cheaper elsewhere on um, on websites, but um, but they don't uh, do this this um, offer on. Um, so in a sense, they're kind of catching up to reality. There's some really really interesting things that Sharon White is is, is talking about is planning on doing. So in recent years, um, the John Lewis has put a lot of emphasis on. Uh, fashion that's one of the, the big uh, fast growing areas uh, and she said that she wants to really dial that back um, and she really wants to ramp up the homeware offering there's a whole load of new things that they're, they're looking at doing including actually building homes um, on top of some of their, their shops which is um, quite a, a radical move for them and in some ways uh, that tells us a lot about this year because people are going out less um, they're not buying as many clothes a lot of people are you know sitting around in a a nice top and their, their uh, underwear um, because no one <laughs> no your legs when you're on Zoom meetings. Um, but, uh, you know, with people stuck in the, the house all day, they, they want to have uh, some nice um, furnishings to, to make it a more um, uh, tolerable experience. So, uh, yeah, so, so things have changed and, and things need to change uh, for, for John Lewis. Yeah, I know earlier this month they did say that they saw more retail is going to be taking place online, especially with with their own brand. And so it seems like they're really trying to follow through with that with getting rid of the slogan. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think they said that they're expecting 60 to 70 percent of their sales to take place online this year, whereas previously previously it was about 40 percent. So uh, I think most um, people in retail and in, in marketing and advertising would expect that kind of shift to have happened eventually, but it, what's happened is it's uh, it's taken place a lot more quickly than than people anticipated. A lot of people who perhaps haven't bothered with online shopping before, all of a sudden, you know, that was their their only option. So um, they gave it a go. Actually, it was it was fine. You know, they liked it, and um, and now they need convincing to uh, to go out and actually go into 
into their city centre and um, and walk around a shop when they can just do it from their um, their smartphone. So we know a lot of the older generation who maybe would have gone into stores previously, they're now doing a lot more shopping online. Do you think they'll be sad to see that that this slogan's gone when they visit their old friend John Lewis? It's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, like I say. Um, uh, my uh, just thinking back to my dad, who's a devotee of the brand. Uh, John Lewis has a, a special place in a lot of consumers' uh, minds, I think, because uh, I think it's perceived almost as a social enterprise because it's owned by its employees. Um, it's not a typical corporate organisation, um, and um, and this uh, this price promise, never knowingly undersold, that was part of that. Um, but I don't know how well known it actually is, and I don't know whether it's really a big deal for for that many consumers. I think there's uh, a number of other things that it has going for it. It has a good reputation for its customer service, um, for the, the quality of its um, products, um, and uh, some of the struggles it's facing are, are, are similar to those of, of other retailers, really. Um, so whether um, this, uh, whether having that in place really helps them uh, to a significant extent now, uh, it's hard to say. So we may not be rushing back to the high street, but a few of us seem to be in a hurry to get back to the office. This is another thing we've been talking a lot about recently is um, Adland kind of getting back to the office environment. So what are your what are your thoughts on um, kind of returning? Well, um, I'm not in any desperate rush to get back myself. Um, I've, I've had a, a bit of an adventure this year and I... Um, uh, left my home in London and, and came to stay in Glasgow, um, where I've had a much more spacious place to, to spend my days working. Um, and um, it's been quite nice in some respects without meaning to, um, to to make it sound like it's all been a, a walk in the park this year, because it's obviously been quite a challenge for, for most of us in some ways. I do miss going into the office uh, a bit. I don't know about, about you. It's, um, it's a shame not being able to see each other in, in person. And definitely sometimes it's it's easier to throw around ideas when you're actually sat in front of somebody. It's not just that people have concerns around the, the safety of going th- into the office, uh, but I think as we've seen from some of the um, articles that we've uh, featured on campaign in the last week, um, people are also uh, apprehensive about it, about it being a kind of miserable experience because when you have these strict limits on the numbers of people who can, can go in and you have to stay a long distance away from each other, uh, you have to continually... Uh, sanitize your hands um, you know separate entrances and exits to the building um, it, I think it's potentially um, there's a risk of it being quite a, a sterile and miserable experience it made me think of air travel um, I think we all recognize that the um, the safety procedures in place when you go through security and so on in, in an airport are um, are important but no one you know if there was a way to avoid those no one would choose to do them um, because they, they just mean that it's it's not a particularly pleasant experience kind of taking a flight I think as workplaces reopen they need to make sure that going into work doesn't feel like you know going through an airport and I know one of the things that kind of was talked about in one of the articles this week is with rap and proximity merging they're really focusing on creating spaces that can be collaborative Um, because I guess when we work from home we are working on our own so being in the office is going to be a space where people will want to go to work together do you see that as something that will take off yeah, um, I think there's there's definitely um, as we get back into uh, it being more plausible for uh, for people to go into the office. Um, I, I think um, most of us probably accept now that, that that people enjoy most people enjoy working at home at least some of their week. 
Um, and there's not many people who are really going to be wanting to go back in uh, five days a week unless their home environment just isn't isn't suitable at all. So I expect that we're probably going to have a kind of mixed working week. Um, but definitely like, yeah, those collaborative uh, aspects of work, much better to be able to do that in a, in a shared environment. And um, there's bound to be a lot of companies rethinking the, the structures of their offices, either because, um, you know, they've just had this time with uh, with nobody going in and they need to put the safety procedures in place or because they're going to be they're in the process of downsizing. You know, they're looking for more suitable uh, premises um, that maybe don't need to fit as many people in on, on any given day. Um, I think there's there's some interesting comparisons, actually, with retail, just going back to what we were uh, talking about before. Um, John Lewis is a great example of a retailer that's been trying to bring more experience into its stores in re- recent years because they know that just having a, a building with products in to go and browse, that doesn't cut it anymore um, compared to the experience of uh, doing it from home on your phone or your computer. You've got to have something more substantial that you can't get from a digital environment. And I think we're going to need to see that from uh, from workplaces as well in, in more or less the same way. Yeah, I definitely agree. And talking of experiences, I know that this week the podcast has a focus on the events industry and you found yourself recently at a socially distanced gig. So can you tell us kind of which which gig was it? Where was it? Kind of what went on? I can, yeah. It was um, uh, so it was at the Virgin Money Unity Arena in, in Newcastle at uh, Gosforth Park uh, Racecourse, um, which is a, a fantastic initiative. Um, it's a, a socially distanced music arena, so it's got a big outdoor stage, you know, typical for for what you'd expect from a festival. And in some other respects, it looks quite similar to your standard outdoor music festival. You know, there's some bars, some food stalls dotted around. But the whole audience area is full of these uh, pens um, or pods, I think they call them, which are formed from basic metal barriers um, and they're um, a metre, one and a half metres wide. Um, And there's room for six people in one of those. Uh, They have folding chairs that you can grab um, so you can sit down or you can stand up. Uh, And it basically means that any group that goes along to um, to these shows um, is completely separated from everyone else, which really limits the, the potential of any kind of infection. So it's, it's a very, very safe um, environment. Uh, and um, I went to see uh, Supergrass, uh, which was, was great fun. Um, they, uh, apparently they, they were all set for a big um, reunion tour this year. Um, it's about 10 years, I think, since, um, since they split up uh, and uh, we're probably hoping to, uh, to rake in the, the cash that typically comes from um, <laughs> from a tour like that and um this uh, socially distanced gig was a, was the best they could manage this year but um really enjoyed them um the fact that they there was anything going on at all really was was terrific because most of us probably haven't been to well hardly any live entertainment um this summer um which has has made things uh, you know it's made it harder to have fun so um i i'm very uh, kind of appreciative to um virgin money for um kind of supporting um, this initiative and actually just giving us an option to to do something. Yeah, the event calendar at the moment is definitely pretty bare. So with the Unity Arena, kind of, I know it's probably great if anybody really likes their personal space, but how was the atmosphere seeing as people were so far apart from each other? By typical standards, there was no atmosphere really. It was um, it was it was strange. Um, it was a bit. Uh, unnerving to be honest to start with and and when I first arrived it really felt like there was 
hardly anybody there. I don't know what the attendance was. So I think the capacity of, of the venue is two and a half thousand. Um, it was difficult for me to see how far back the, the pods were filled. Um, but I think by the time Supergrass came on, it was it was reasonably full. But uh, I think we all quickly adjusted. And, and as I say, um, beggars can't be choosers. I, I think um, once, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe my next summer, maybe it's the, the year after, uh, we'll be able to get back to the kind of like uh, jam-packed events that we all um, enjoy. And I think when it gets to that point, uh, having a distance thing like this is probably not going to be um, viable because uh, it, it severely limits the, um, the number of audience members that you can have. But, uh, but, but it was actually a nice change. It was uh, really civilized to be able to sit down, to have all the space around you, to not have to squeeze your way in, you know, if you want to get a good view of the stage. Um, it, was, it was relaxed, you know, it, it didn't have the uh, frenetic energy of, uh, of a standard music festival, but um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think the fact that this is the only option this year means that it's, it's just opened an opportunity for something um, a little bit different to happen. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. With having these events that are socially distanced and the capacity being limited, it's often not viable for these events to be put on. But having a brand behind them like Virgin Money just means that people have something to look forward to. And I guess with a lot of these acts, they have somewhere to be able to perform. Yeah, definitely. Great. Thanks, Simon. It was great to hear that socially distanced gigs and events can work and to hear about it firsthand. And that leads me nicely into my chat about the future of the industry and what can be done to save it. You may have seen on the 11th of August, the banks of the River Thames were illuminated with red lights. The Royal Festival Hall, London Eye, National Theatre and Tate Modern were all lit up and hundreds of volunteers dressed in red and lined the banks of the Thames. Why? Well, this was all in order to draw attention to the crisis faced by the events industry. The coronavirus pandemic essentially brought live events to a standstill. And while furlough schemes and government funding is helping, some say freelancers, self-employed people and suppliers are not receiving the support needed. With the return to events now looking like a long, slow journey that will require social distancing measures, at least in the short term, we're going to be discussing what this sector needs to thrive in the future. Here to discuss this with me is Peter Heath, Managing Director of Plaza. Nice to have you here, Peter. So can you explain who Plaza is and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Fayola, and thanks for having me. Um, so Plaza is, is a stands for the Professional Lighting and Sound Association. We've been around for over 40 years and we represent companies and people who are part of the um, events technology industry. So effectively, the supply chain to events. So anything from manufacturers, production and rental houses, any, any professional who's involved with that, whether they be riggers uh, or indeed engineers, uh, any any anyone in that side of the industry is is who we represent. Brilliant. Thank you, Peter. And also on the podcast, we have Helen Hansen, who's the founder of Held, an immersive events and brand experiences agency. Hi, Helen. Can you let us know a bit more about what kind of projects you deliver? Hi, Fayola. Hi, everybody. Nice to, nice to be on the line. Um, yes, as, as I said, we, Held is a, is a brand um, experience agency. So we supply fabulous brand ambassadors, mentors, um, staffing specialists 
to the events industry. We also supply a lot of um, production services, design. Uh, we work in collaboration with brands themselves, but also a lot of agencies. So for us, this pandemic has been fairly catastrophic and it's been really interesting to see how the events industry is now going to have to um, become a bit more flexible in terms of, of, of our responses. So just to start off then, Helen, kind of in your opinion, what's the current state of the events industry and what help do you think it needs? Well, luckily, the events industry is a very collaborative industry and there's a huge amount of internal support from suppliers and um, and kind of agencies themselves. But what we don't have is is enough confidence and we certainly don't have enough money. So, you know, as most events events professionals would agree that the middle of March, um, certainly for us, we went from an extremely healthy pipeline to zero um, cash flow overnight. And so now we're we're looking at this kind of um, journey to rebuild not only the industry, but also the confidence of the consumer and the confidence of the brands. There is, there's, a, there's a huge way to go and we certainly need a lot of financial support. And Peter, I know that you've been getting a lot of attention for the Light It In Red campaign. Can you just tell us a bit more about that and what help you're calling for? Yeah, so um, when when the pandemic hit, just as Helen said, the, the, the lights were turned off and all our businesses uh, went home. Um, because there was no work. So we were the first out, and as an industry, we'll probably be the last back. We obviously were doing everything we could in terms of advice for our members, and we started to talk with, with uh, a few of those members, and we came to the conclusion that we should do something more than just write about it. We should take some action. So we created We Make Events um, with a number of uh, our members, and We Make Events now has grown to a point where it's no longer a plaza initiative. It is now being run and delivered by, by the industry, um, which, is, which is overwhelming and brilliant, um, with a view to trying to get exactly what Helen has said, get additional funding uh, and um, the opportunity to go back to work properly. There is a date in the diary set by the government that says from the 1st of October, you can go back to work. Um, well, we can't. Uh, in reality, we we can go back to work um, and go into a venue, but we can't put on an event that will actually be commercially viable. Of course, we can do COVID nineteen safe events in in a in a in a space that would normally take a thousand people will probably be taking around three hundred people. Well, financially, that just doesn't work for anybody. So really, the 1st of October, it's not really a return to work date. It's just a date in the diary. So, Helen, with this this date of the 1st of October not being, I guess, very certain of as to how we'll actually be returning at that stage, kind of how do you feel that the pandemic's affected your business? Is Are you ever going to be able to recover from the months that we've lost? I mean, God, I, I... I bloody well hope so. I mean, as people said, like it is, it is for us. It's just another date in the diary. And I think it's really interesting because um, we've been putting certainly putting a lot of pitches together. We've been doing a lot of um, responses to quotes, but without the brands having the confidence um, to have that return on investment, 
a lot of these dates are being pushed to, to Q1 for next year. So the, the other issue that we've got is the, the, the end of furlough. So, you know, we're, we're kind of um, faced with lots of, with, with the challenges of not being able to put on a full event so that the brand or the agency or the, whoever we're working with gets their full return on investment. But also we've got the, the, our, the lovely staff and my team and our events team who are basically going to have no money and no work. So we've got, there's, there's a lot of, of, of kind of challenges that we, that we really need to consider more than just, oh yes, there's a date, go for it. So yeah, so just to back that up, if you look at the, the numbers, certainly from, from this, the sector that, that we're involved with, the reason that we set red alert day was because people, companies have already started their redundancy process before the end of furlough, because um, furlough changes where companies have to make contributions to that furlough. Now, some of our companies just cannot do that. So they've already started to let people go. And on a recent survey, we know that in July itself, there was something like 25, 25 to 28% of, of staff being let go in July. So by the time October comes, when furlough ends, that number is going to be up around 80%. Now, if you consider the numbers involved, so in the outside uh, events industry, there are 600,000 workers. 70% of those uh, of those people are um, self-employed or freelancers. Now, because the companies aren't getting the work, then the freelancers aren't going to get the work. The, the catastrophic effect this, this could happen to the industry is from a supply chain point of view, you look at manufacturers, especially British manufacturers, we innovate. Um, and if they are not able to continue doing what they're doing, they will not be able to innovate and bring that incredible technology to live events. If we don't look after our events industry, we stand a chance of losing that global position. So we're going to lose innovation. We're going to lose our global position. We're going to lose some cultural uh, highlights, whether that be the Edinburgh Fringe. So it got cancelled for the first time in its history this year. Um, if it doesn't happen again next year, how well will that recover? We don't know. And finally, not forgetting that our industry is absolutely rammed full of highly skilled people these days. It's not just a bunch of guys going around pushing pushing flight cases and, and, and doing that kind of thing. It's a very highly skilled job to deliver these very, very technical shows. So there's a lot at stake. I completely agree. It's the, it's the chain that, um, that it's, it's everybody, it's the back of house that, that um, I think, you know, the thinking very sort of naively of, oh, we've cancelled a live event. The actual knock-on effects for that is, as, as Peter says, completely catastrophic. It, yeah, it, it's going to take a lot more than, um, you know, a little bit of furlough to, to, to help us recover. Agreed. So the, just to add to that, if I may, Phil, uh, sorry for just coming in here. Maybe, no, it's okay. Maybe, it's just a, maybe it's just <laughs> because we kind of get passionate when we start talking about this. Thing. Yeah. And um, so if you if you look at the, at the position that we're currently in, and if we don't get any additional help um what could happen to the to the whole industry which which if you think about it um our industry from an event point of view will also have an impact on hospitality it will also have an impact on the airlines it will have an impact on coaching and busing and it will have an impact impact all those in those, those industries as well now the government have 
of course, provided furlough, which has been very welcome. They supplied the self-employed income protection scheme, which um, was very welcome. However, that is not enough. So they, they then supplied £1.57 billion. My understanding of that is it's really, the, the bulk of that is not going to reach people. It's going to reach buildings. So, I, so what it means is that these buildings that can apply for a grant from that money will be able to mothball their premises effectively and keep them, keep them maintained until they can reopen. Whereas the people, they'll be gone. So what we need to do is to get the government to understand and so, uh, that, that how important our industry is, not from just people and innovation and skills um, and culturally, but what it, impact it has on the economy. And hopefully, if they really fully understood that, then they might um, dip into their pockets and help us out until we can go back to work properly. So, Helen, kind of hearing that, the furlough scheme hasn't necessarily been able to protect all the people that you'd come in contact with. Does knowing that that £1.57 billion investment is really just for buildings, Does how does that make you feel kind of looking at the future of the sector? Well, I mean, it's great that there's a help for, for, for buildings and it's fantastic. And as Peter said, they will, they'll be mothballed. But the problem is, is, that, is furlough has is, is, is just kind of delayed the inevitable. Um, we needed something a bit with a bit more longevity. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of these responses are fairly reactive um, without actually thinking of the bigger picture. Um, and what it's done is sort of um, given, given a bit of false hope in terms of, you know, thinking that the events industry was going to bounce back. I mean, when we first heard about the pandemic, we proposed that things weren't going to come back until Easter in 2021 so all of our forecasting was that 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 was kind of how we underlaid it in which case after october so that's, there's another six months where actually nobody's earning any money at all so um i think for us we've got you know 1500 event staff who are have been furloughed we've put them on to furlough but now we we can't continue because as peter pointed out and rightly so we're you know we can't top up we don't there is no income we don't have any there's nothing there's nothing there to to support them so we've now abandoned you know it feels like we're abandoning all of the the amazing staff that make these events possible of course the buildings need something but actually the the, the people the 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 the, the companies that actually keep, you know, the nuts and bolts, keep things moving, they're the ones that you need, who actually really need the support. Agreed, agreed. And so, which is why, um, so when We Make Events sort of started to ramp up and people were signing up in their droves, um, which is then we, well, we said, well, why don't we do something else other than what we'd originally done, which was a video really just to try and explain to people what was happening to our, our industry and to the supply chain. Um, we then uh, arranged uh, August the 11th. And what we didn't know was around the country, there were a number of other regional activities that were going on. Um, and they, we joined up with them, they joined up with us. And in the end, the, you know, the 11th of August was, um, was a, a great moment in time for the industry, wherever they were positioned across the UK, to have a moment to be with each other, to reflect, to say hi to each other, because they hadn't done that for months, 
to do something which was completely COVID safe um, and as well as raising awareness across the whole of the UK about our plight. And all of that was supported so well by the people, but especially the part of the campaign, which is to light it red. It was just an incredible moment in time, which has only inspired us to continue the campaign and to keep going to try uh, to help and support um, our industry. And so kind of moving towards the beginning of October, we know that some venues will be able to open. There's still going to be social distancing in place. They said that conference centres, for instance, like Excel, they'll be able to reopen. But how do you both see events working whilst being socially distanced? I know we've seen a few at the moment, but is that really feasible for long term? I, it's, it's, I don't think these. I don't think that's very sustainable um, because if if you're looking at um, a venue and only allowed thirty um, percent capacity um, or even forty percent capacity, most events, regardless of the event type, probably require, in terms of revenue, uh, and and also and also numbers, probably in excess of ninety percent of capacity before they start to be to, to make sense from a commercial point of view financially so they can't be sustainable because that nobody can continue to lose money on events uh, because they're nice to put on and a few people can come along so the options are you reduce the cost of the event by having having something less exciting to go and watch or be involved with or you you say to the people who are in the building, in order for it to make sense financially, that your ticket price is going to go up from, you know, whatever it may be, by th- by three times in order to so everybody can be paid. That's that's my view. Yeah, no, I, well, I can completely agree. It comes down to commercial viability, and absolutely, I think if if a, if a venue is the venue, sh- it, it you know, has a three thousand capacity, and you're only allowing a thousand people in, or even five hundred. Then the atmosphere is one thing that will change as well. But in addition to that, the cost of putting on that event goes up because the number of conditions you need to install from um, t- the way that ticketing works, the one-way systems, the additional staffing costs, all of the just to ensure you know all COVID care has been covered, it just makes it completely. As Peter mentioned, the ticket price would have would just would would be increased exponentially. And so, I mean, it just feels that so the people that we're asking to come to those events, we're asking them to pay more money, and it to, and the actual environment that they're in to be completely different. So, does it become less attractive? Yes, I think it's a. I don't think I think a, a number of the events that we would certainly put on don't make sense at all. I think there's this 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 concept of hybrid is going to be something that will be introduced a lot more. There'll be obviously the digital aspect across omnichannels, but essentially the vibe of a, an event, um, you know, the, the the sort of free and fabulous and exciting nature of the events will 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 certainly be challenged. God, we sound dreadfully cynical, don't we? <laughs> so let's let's cheer this one up, shall we? <laughs> yeah, kind of looking looking into the future, I guess. Yeah, I, I, can we think of something optimistic? I don't know. 
Absolutely. Yeah, there is. There's <laughs> lots of optimism. So in, in, in the people that I talk to on a regular basis, whether in, in supply chain, whether they're manufacturers, rental houses, um, people, anybody who's involved in the industry, they're really excited about the future because we believe we'll bounce back quickly because people like to come to these events. Um, artists want to perform. That's where they get their biggest you know, rush and that's where they get their biggest kick from is performing. So they, get, they want to do it. People will want to go and see it. And I think we have a really good future ahead of us. What we need to, to get to that starting point is to be allowed to go back to work um, where we can have lots of people in the same room. So there is lots of positivity about the future. It's just how do we get to that point? Yeah, I completely agree. That's the, that's, that's the issue, isn't it? It's the uncertainty of when that can actually happen properly. And it's almost like, is it worth doing these much smaller events where they're hugely expensive and they don't make sense? Or is it better to wait with the government support and actually to, to kind of throw ourselves back in wholeheartedly? But, you know, I'm excited about, you know, the way that people are going to be interacting, uh, the fact that it, we, ha we are actually changing the way that we're um, presenting events to consumers. The consumers, they want to consume less, but they want more quality, which I think is going to have an effect on the type of events that we do. But essentially, we need to all, as Peter says, we need to all get back. We all need to get back working to continue with our core values of brilliance and development and growing the sector. You know, we've got every year we take on fabulous students who are studying event management and they are part of our team. They are crucial to our team and they are, you know, they're, they're, they're valued members of our, of, of our, our in-house staff. If we are, you know, we're in, we insist on working from home, those, those developments, the way that we then develop those new members of staff within the industry, that's going to, that's going to suffer as well. So that I think, you know, from my side, we're looking at all sorts of ways that we can kind of um, bring events back on a very individual level, but also does it, does it make sense to do these little tiny, small COVID, COVID care um, socially distance events where they don't actually tick all the boxes. Yeah, it's a very good point. Very good point. The the other uh, the other thing that we should remember is that the event sector was, um, you know, one of the fastest and largest growing sectors um, for the UK economy in 2017, 2018. So I think we can return to that in a relatively short period of time, given the opportunity. And that's what we need, the opportunity. Brilliant. Thank you to you both. That's all we've got time for this week. Um, so thank you, Peter Heath, Managing Director of Plaza, and Helen Hansen, Founder of Hells. Thanks very much. Everyone. Thanks very much. And thanks to everybody out there listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Campaign Podcast. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast player today and be the first to hear us next time. Thank you. Thank you.